Our scripture lesson this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And this is part of an entire chapter that is devoted to the ministry of John the Baptist. All three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, record for us the baptism of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. The Gospel of John also mentions the baptism of, of Jesus in the context of John revealing Jesus to be the Lamb of God, the chosen Son of God. And all four of these Gospels testify to the fact that Jesus was not only baptized, but that he was superior to John the Baptist. But this morning's reading is about the baptism of Jesus. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, beginning with uh, verse uh, 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. This is the Word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. And let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we pray now that in the wonderful name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will come and teach us, come and speak to us through your word and its proclamation. Uh, Lord, we pray that you will stir in us uh, deep gratitude and praise for the gift of our baptism and the baptism of our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this is a picture of my great-grandfather. I've talked about him, I think, previous years while I've been pastor here. But his name is David Chester Sparks. He died in 1978. You can see there underneath his, uh, his two hands is a book on preaching, I think. Um, and then there's also a book there, Why I Am a Baptist. Uh, my Pa Sparks, as we called him, everybody else called him Preacher Sparks, was in fact a lifelong Baptist preacher. And he became the president of Oneida Baptist Institute later in his life. Uh, as, as essentially an orphan, he was taken in by the school uh, after his father was assaulted, uh, was ambushed and murdered as a deputy sheriff in Clay County, Kentucky back at the turn of the century. So Pa Sparks, as a little boy whose mother could not afford to take care of him any longer, as well as the rest of her children, sent them all to a children's home in Louisville. And at some point in that separation, uh, my pa wrote to the president of Oneida, which is a mountain mission school in Appalachia, and said, would you please let me come and live there? He said, I'll work my way through school. And he's just a kid. 
And uh, they let him come back. He graduated from Oneida. Then he went on to college and got a degree and became a very effective preacher and later in the 1950s president of Oneida. Uh, My mother was raised by him and his second wife, my actual great-grandmother, died at age 37 from typhoid fever after giving birth to five children. um, She... uh, um, was a, a lovely person from what we understand who really loved the Lord. My pa struggled for some years to make sense of his life and to get back on track after the loss of his partner in ministry. And then he met uh, a woman who was active, uh, single, in the uh, Baptist Sunday School Board. And they became husband and wife and a real dynamic duo for many, many years, including their years at Oneida. Uh, My Baptist mother was immersed in the cold mountain stream of Clear Creek, Kentucky in Bath County. She was about nine years old at the time. And when my mother was 18, she eloped with my dad, her high school sweetheart. And um, dad, by the way, was a Methodist then and he still is today. Uh, Once my parents uh, were married and I was born just a few months later, my dad told my mother that he wanted his his son, his firstborn son, to be baptized, as is the tradition in the Methodist church. But my mother, being a Baptist, apparently had her doubts about that. And um, she had a second son about four years later, and apparently dad pressed her again And so she calls her Baptist preacher grandfather, Pa Sparks, and she asks him what he thinks about having his great-grandsons baptized as kids in a Methodist church. Now keep in mind, I was about five years of age. My little brother was a toddler. He was about one. And after a long silence on the phone, Pa Sparks deadpanned, Well, Dawn... It can't hurt, and it might help. (laughs) And so on Easter Sunday, 1961, at the First United Methodist Church in Livingston, Tennessee, my little brother David and I were baptized. And uh, my mother also became a Methodist on that day. In today's gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 3, it is just another day at the Jordan River. John was baptizing folks, getting them ready for the Messiah. Baptism was nothing new in that day. The Jews were well acquainted with it. Uh, What they did not not experience every, every day was this very strange man who was performing them. Uh, John was unshaven. Um, he, He was dressed like a crazy man, had this long, unruly hair. His diet consisted of insects and wild honey, the scripture tells us. And he called religious folks like Jeremy and me, the priest, uh, the, the Levites, the teachers of the law, he called them snakes. He didn't have a bit of use for the established religion of his day. And he told everyone that would listen to him as he preached his message of repentance in the wilderness, out in the desert, you better shape up, you better turn back to God before it's too late. People came from all over to hear this firebrand preacher. 
as he stood waist high in water in the Jordan River, calling them from the banks to come on into the water and to confess their sins and be baptized. The scripture says that he cried out in a loud voice. He yelled out, the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, again, baptism was nothing new. As, as the Jews approached the temple in Jerusalem, there were as many as 50 ritual baths that were uh, near the southern steps into the entrance of the Temple Mount. These baths were called misvas, and these misvas were uh, just carved out of stone. People walked in on one side, immersed themselves, and came out the other side, and then made their way through these, up these irregularly uh, spaced steps all the way up to the Temple Mount. Uh, after 19 centuries, uh, following the uh, war of 1967 that Israel had with its Arab neighbors, mainly Jordan, the steps and the mikvahs were uncovered by archaeologists. Keep in mind, they've been under layers of ancient Holy Land history for nearly 2,000 years. Uh, here's some of the pictures that... Uh, that, that you'll find on the internet. Some I took myself during one of our pilgrimages there. Uh, this was in um, 2016 when a group of us from Georgetown First gathered on a Sunday afternoon while you all were preparing to come here for worship. And we stood under umbrellas and in our parkers and rain slickers and we worshiped the Lord. I, I'm in that, uh, this, the, the closest to you there in that black jacket standing next to somebody with a blue umbrella. And I brought the Sunday message as we stood in the rain on the very steps, the very same stone steps that Jesus would have walked on as he entered the temple. When Neil Armstrong visited the Holy Land in 1994, the first man on the moon asked his host, archaeologist Meyer Bendove, if there was a place in Israel that he could take, take him where he could definitely walk where Jesus walked. And Bendove told him, as one of the early excavators of the Temple Mount, that he was certain that Jesus walked on what they call the Southern Teaching Steps. And so when, we, when they arrived at the steps, Ben Dove said that, that one of the most famous men in the world, the first man to walk on the moon, got down on his hands and knees and he kissed the stones, saying it was even more exciting for him to be there at a place where Jesus once walked than Neil Armstrong walking on the surface of the moon. By the way, it's quite possible that those 3,000 people that were baptized on the day of Pentecost some three years after the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River, that, that, that those early first converts to Christianity that accepted Jesus as the Messiah, that these individuals were immersed in the same mikvahs that have been uncovered at the Temple Mount. In fact, there are about 50 that were located there. There are another 150 that have been uncovered throughout the city of Jerusalem. In Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist says, I baptize with water, 
those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not worthy even to be a slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fire being a symbol of judgment throughout the Word of God. People responded to John's message, just as they did to Peter on the day of Pentecost. They lined up along the banks of the Jordan River and entered the waters. And then something amazing happened. In the queue, as people were waiting for their turn to confess their sins and, and be dipped in the, the waters of, of the Jordan River, there stood Jesus. Jesus came to John to be baptized. I had an old-fashioned country Baptist preacher tell me nearly 40 years ago when I was just getting started in ministry that this event recorded for us in, in Matthew chapter 3, the baptism of Jesus, he said, this is proof that Jesus was a Baptist. <laughs> now he told me in no uncertain terms that Jesus was not baptized by a Methodist, nor was Jesus baptized by a Catholic. He said Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Now, I was tempted to laugh at him, but he was very serious about what he was telling me. And John was also very serious. I doubt that he told very many jokes or funny stories in the sermons he was preaching. Uh, but John was anything but serious about baptizing Jesus. He says to him, cousin, <laughs> I, I don't... I don't think this is right. This is not appropriate. He said, I'm the one that needs to be baptizing you. Why are you coming to me? Well, that was a very good question. This fire and brimstone preacher humbly, humbly demonstrates at this moment that he had some inkling of who Jesus was. And he also had a strong self-awareness of his own identity. John understood that Jesus didn't need, a, need repentance. Jesus was righteous. Jesus was good. Uh, Jesus was the Son of God, the Chosen One. Jesus was the Messiah of Israel. So if Jesus Christ didn't need forgiveness and the cleansing that baptism represents, then why on earth did Jesus ask John to baptize him? Now i got to confess to you, I've been at this a long time, as you all know. I'm getting ready to retire. And I have never gotten a clear answer in my head as to why Jesus was baptized until this past week. I mean, I've read commentaries, heard other people talk about it. This idea that, that, that John and Jesus were to fulfill righteousness just didn't make sense to me. But this week, this week... Uh, I had an epiphany. My, my mind was opened up to some things that, that actually connect with our own baptism. And here are these four reasons why I think Jesus asked John to baptize him. First of all, it was an act of obedience to God's will. Jesus says it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. Other translations say, for we must fulfill all righteousness. Now, righteousness 
and fulfillment are key theological te uh, themes in the Gospel of Matthew. Righteousness, uh, if it's distilled down into a simple phrase, it simply means the will of God. Doing what's right before God. And the word fulfilled here means to perform the will of God, to do something. And the plural we here means that, th that this is something that both John and Jesus were to do together. It was a partnership. Together, John the Baptist and Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel, were initiating... The plan of God since ancient times that had been prophesied by Isaiah and others that was now coming to fruition. Jesus' baptism was an act of obedience, just like his dying on the cross was an act of obedience. It's very clear from the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus was struggling with the will of God at one point. He said, not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. If there's any way that you can take this cross away from me, this cup of suffering that is waiting for me, then I, then I, I want to go that way, not this way. But again, it was about obeying the Father and doing the Father's will. And that's what Jesus did. And although there is no clear uh, indication in the Scripture that Jesus ever baptized anyone, He certainly commanded His disciples to baptize others, others during their three years of ministry together and to baptize everyone who became His followers, as we see in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. And by the way, Christians... If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized, you are living in disobedience to the Master. Because it's very clear from the Great Commission alone that baptism is the first act of obedience. It is the first thing you do after you say yes to Jesus. You identify with Him through the waters of baptism. So an un unbaptized follower of Jesus is not living in a right relationship, is not living fully in a right relationship with Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Now the second, the second reason I believe Jesus was baptized was that he was identifying with sinful humanity. Clearly this is another way that through his life and ministry and his death that Jesus identifies with sinful humanity, with each one of us as sinners. Uh, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. The birth of the baby in, in Bethlehem was that first step of identification. God becoming a human being. The second uh, step, I believe, was His baptism 30 years later. His temptation in the wilderness, which comes immediately after His baptism, was another way that Jesus identified with us, yet without sin. He was tempted, as Hebrews says, in all the ways we are. And His suffering in Gethsemane, His scourging by Pontius Pilate, uh, His crucifixion on the cross, they are all ways that the Lamb of God took on the sins of the world into His life. So Jesus' baptism was a part of that plan of identification with sinful humanity. I find that very helpful and encouraging. The third thing is that it was an affirmation of the Father. Jesus, John, and the crowd that was on the bank that day 
witnessed a moment in which the father said, this is my son and this is through the words of of Isaiah 42.1. This is the suffering servant. This is the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. These words were spoken by no accident. And they're paraphrased in the New Living Translation. This is my dearly loved son who pleases me and brings me great joy. And finally, there was empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Um, it was impressed upon me 25 years ago at a renewal conference when, when I was filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and my life was, was changed in a very dramatic way that, um, that I needed the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill my ministry. That in fact every believer needs uh, the power of the Spirit released in their lives. They need a blessing or anointing of the Holy Spirit upon their lives if they are to do their ministries. And Jesus needed that same empowerment and guidance as he began his ministry. In fact, if you go from chapter 3, verse 17 of Matthew into chapter 4, verse 1, we see Jesus being led. Now that he's He's, he's been blessed by the Father. He's, he's been identified with sinful humanity. He said yes to God's will. Uh, he is empowered by the Holy Spirit and led into the wilderness to be put to the test, to be tempted by the devil in the wilderness. This was an important uh, landmark in Jesus' ministry. And if you don't believe Jesus needed to be filled and anointed with the Holy Spirit, just like each one of us. Listen to what Peter preached in Acts chapter 10. He is talking to the first Gentile converts. And this is what he preaches. Verses 37 through 38 of Acts 10. He says, You know what happened throughout Judea beginning in Galilee after John began preaching his message of baptism? And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus, then Jesus, now anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, he goes around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. A friend of Martin Luther, the um, founder, the father of the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago, came to him discouraged, doubting his salvation. And as he unburdened his soul to, to Luther, Luther finally at one point exclaimed, Don't you know you are baptized? I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that when people come to me and they're whining about their troubles and they need help with their trials and their temptations. I'm just going to say, don't you know you are baptized? I mean, in essence, Luther was saying, get on with it. You belong to God. The power of God, the blessing of God, the inheritance as God's sons and daughters is yours. When Luther himself, however, was translating the Greek Bible into German so that ordinary folk like us could read the scriptures, um, he was so tormented at times with discouragement, causing him to doubt God's promises, that he would throw his inkwell across the room against the wall. 
And people who were uh, nearby or in the castle where he was staying during this important work said they could hear him crying out, I am baptized! He felt the devil himself was in the room with him trying to keep him from, from fulfilling this mission that God had given him. Luther wrote that baptism is a shield against all assaults of the scornful enemy, an answer to the sins that disturb the conscience, an antidote for the dread of death and judgment, and a comfort in every temptation. And this is one of the reasons why we should regularly remember our baptism. We remember the Lord's sacrifice through Holy Communion, do we not? Once a month, sometimes more often. We ought to also remember our baptism. We, we are baptized only once. It's an irrepeatable act. We are only justified one time by God. But, but, just as we do remember the sacrifice of Jesus, we ought to remember the covenant God made with us. Or made with our parents when they brought us before God and dedicated our lives uh, to a life of faith. Uh, we, we remember confirmation when we were a teenager. Or, or our confession of faith in Christ if we came to the Lord later in life. That He alone is our salvation. We need to remember our vows of membership. We need to remember that when we became a part of the family of God... Before God and before His people, we promised that we would support this church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And we remember that promise because we know God will keep His promise. Lord, I remember you because I know you will never forget me. Furthermore, when it rains... Or when you cross a, a river on a bridge, or when you wade into a creek, or if you fish from a boat, Paul, you do a lot of that, don't you? All right? Uh, when you turn on the faucet to water your garden, as many a, a, of you do in spring and summer and early fall, remember your Creator. Remember your Creator and how all life, as Jeremy told the children this morning, is dependent upon water. And whenever you see water, uh, whenever uh, you, um, you know, are washed clean in the shower or in the bathtub, uh, take a moment to remember that God has washed you clean by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That in your baptism, you are receiving His gift of new life, of new beginning of a fresh start. In your bulletin, there is a little card to help you to remember your baptism. Lord Jesus Christ, as I enter the water to bathe, I remember my baptism. Wash me by your grace. Fill me with your spirit. Renew my soul. I pray that I might live as your disciple today and honor you in all that I do. Amen. I just encourage you to tape that up next to the bathroom window. Or put in your Bible so that every day when you have your devotions before you begin your day, you can remember your baptism. I close with this scripture. Powerful word from Romans chapter 6 verse 4. Paul says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. 
For we died. We died to our sin. We died to our selfishness. We died to the world. We were buried with Christ by our baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So this morning, uh, as we bring our service to a close, we are going to uh, remember and renew our baptism and uh, I want to extend an invitation to you to share in this, even if you're not a member of this church. There are two acts that you can share in. Uh, one is to pick up uh, one of these scallop shells, which is an ancient symbol of baptism in early Christianity. It's usually pictured uh, this direction with three drops of water, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coming off of it. Uh, there's a basket of those here in the center that is located on top of our baptismal font. And then there are two stations with basins of water, um, water that came out of the Jordan River that I retrieved earlier this year in um, a, a Coke Zero bottle that's, that's got Hebrew written on it. So it's got to be holy, right? <laughs> and, and it's mixed with water that came out of Royal Spring. Uh, at least that's what I'm told because that's what comes out our tap, right? For most of us, we're drinking water out of Royal Spring. So it's a mixture of our local water and water from the Holy Land. And I encourage you to place your, your fingers or a fingers into the water. And as they've done since ancient times, to sign yourself with the cross on your other hand. Or maybe to just sign yourselves on your forehead with the water to remember your baptism and be thankful. And be thankful. Uh, your baptism is important. Your baptism uh, is something you should remember, especially, as Luther says, when, when you're down in the dumps, when you're discouraged, when you feel like the devil's got your number, then what are we to say to him? I am baptized. So I'd just love it if somebody coming down this morning as we conclude our service would, would put their fingers in the water, raise their hand and say, I am baptized so that all of us could hear it. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for the gift of our baptism. We confess to you that often we've, we've just forgotten about it. We don't pay much attention to it. We have um, missed the whole point of it. We thank you today that, that the baptism of Jesus teaches us so much about our own baptism. Uh, we confess to you, Lord, that we haven't always lived up to those vows that we make at our baptism. But by the grace of God, we'll be faithful and true to them from this day forward. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's, uh, let's follow these questions here together. These are the standard questions that are a version of the ancient questions that have been in the church uh, for nearly 2,000 years. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? 
And as God's holy people who are blood washed, water baptized, and spirit filled, will you continue to support the Georgetown First United Methodist Church with your prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness? So as we uh, sing together, just as I am, I invite you now to just come as you will. Ushers won't dismiss you. Just get up from the pew and come down and uh, touch the waters of our baptism as we sing together, just as I am, without one plea.